And before I, I uh, get into today's message in earnest, uh, I just want to do a little uh, kind of promo about our, our worship service on the 19th of November. If you've never been here for a Berean Thanksgiving service, the message is thanksgiving. It's your words of thanksgiving to what God has done. So we're going to have microphones out here where you're going to have an opportunity to share your gratitude about what God has done and how he has been faithful to you throughout the year. And it's one of the best services we have because we get to hear what God has been doing in your life. And this is not about you per se, but it's about God and what he has done. So maybe be thinking about that before we get there. It's, you know, we want to make it audible, you know, Christ-centered and brief, but, but ultimately it is, it's an opportunity to, to, you know, give God glory. So uh, be thinking about that, and uh, we'll be heading towards that. So um, just want to encourage you to think about that. So a tired mom of some preschoolers, slept in on a Saturday to about 7.30 only to find her two preschoolers at the end of her bed and the older one, little Ashley, said Mama! Mama, Bookie and I we cleaned the bathroom for you and, 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 and your toothbrush is there and we cleaned the potty with it but, but don't worry, we, we put it back in the holder. Someone was not quite clear about the concept of something being set apart or exclusive in use. We are returning to our series about um, being made in this image, and we've been talking this last two weeks about holy sexuality. Last week we talked about how God, indeed, in creation is the inventor of sex. How he brought the woman to the man, brought out of his rib, and was made perfectly corresponding to him. And he said, now this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And the two became one flesh. God is the designer of sex, and it is a wonderful gift to promote intimacy, tenderness, vulnerability, to be known, biz, uh, bonds that are physical, emotional, spiritual, and to be fruitful and multiply, to become a family. But that union, that gift is exclusive. It's between one man, one woman in the, the uh, covenant and commitment of marriage. And even more so, we talked about this, especially those of us who are followers of Christ. We should be submitting our sexual desire and sexuality to God because how we obey and honor Him or how we ignore and rebel against Him has a profound effect on our fellowship with the living God. And we looked at Thessalonians 4, verses 3 through 5, where it says, It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lusts like pagans who do not know God. Unfortunately, much like many of the good gifts that God has given us, sex has been used, has been abused, has been warped even by a sin-sick world who is looking for love in all the wrong places. 
And last week we looked in, in general about what holy sexuality is about. And if you have not heard that message, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to it because it is really foundational for today's message. But today we're going to talk about same-sex attraction. We're going to talk about homosexuality. What does God's Word have to say about it? Is there a biblical uh, expression of it? And how does Christ's church minister to those who deal with same-sex attraction or homosexuality? Indeed, human sexuality is powerful. It creates bonds, it directs the heart, but like dynamite, in the wrong context, it's more like kryptonite. And it needs to come under the headship of our Lord Jesus Christ to be holy to Him in order that we might flourish before Him. So let me pray, and then we'll dig into God's Word and what He has to say to us today. So Lord God, this is a tender subject. It is a controversial subject, but it is something that you've spoken about. So may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. May they be true. May they be full of love. May they be full of truth. And I pray that your grace would abound in this message and speak to our hearts today. Give us grace to receive what you have for us Lord, and if it it wounds us, let it wound in faithfulness. And Lord, if it encourages us, let it it spur us on to love and good deeds in Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, it's in your name I pray these things. Amen. So, a heart attitude we can approach, really, this whole series, is to remember that every person that you meet is made in the image of God. And every person you meet has been affected by sin or the fall, including yourself. And each of us, even as Christians, have some sort of desire, affection, tendency, attraction that is contrary to the will of God and His righteousness. And sometimes we recognize it, and sometimes we don't, or we do and we defend and justify it. That is why Christ had to come and save us. Because we could not save ourselves. It's best that we keep that in mind. But the truth is, we do live in a world where popular culture says that homosexuality is healthy, normal, to be celebrated. And if there is a God, it is God-given. God's Word says that homosexuality is not an expression of holy sexuality unto God. So we're going to do a kind of a quick survey about what God's Word says about this and trust that He's going to speak to our hearts. First of all, it's forbidden by God's Old Testament law. In Leviticus chapter 18, verse 22, which is part of what we call the moral code of that, of that part of Scripture, it says this, Do not have sexual relations with a man as one has with a woman. That is detestable. Then into Leviticus chapter 20, verse 13. If a man has sexual relations with a man as one does with a woman, both of them have done what is detestable. They are to be put to death. Their blood will be on their own heads. And realize the context is under a theocracy where God's law reigned civilly as well. Number two. The first mention of homosexuality in the Bible sadly, is in the context of, of gang rape. 
This is Genesis chapter 19, where we meet the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. And the outcry against that city is so great that God comes down on earth and presents himself as three angels. And you go to Abraham in, in chapter 18, and Abraham bargains with God. It, look, if there are even just ten righteous people there, will you withhold your, your justice? And he says, I will. And so he, the two, two angels go down to Sodom and Gomorrah. They come into town and they meet Abraham's uh, nephew, Lot, who invites them quickly into his house. And just as quickly, his house is surrounded by the men of the, of the city. And they say, bring them out that we may know them. This is not a meet and greet. They want to rape these men. They want to have sex with them. And this is not an expression of love. It's an expression of violence, of domination, looking to humiliate, brutalize, and express power. And then these visitors are not just mere men. They are angels. They grab Lot, pull them into the house, and they blind the whole crowd, and they scurry Lot and his family out, and God rains down burning sulfur on this this area. And these two cities, Sodom and Gomorrah, they become the poster children for God's judgment, like Sodom and Gomorrah so many times over and over in Scripture. Number three, homosexuality is an expression of our depravity of denying God. I'm going to read the passage Pat read earlier for us. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings and birds and animals and reptiles. That's what happened in Exodus 32, where the God of Israel brought the people of God, out of, his, out of Egypt, out of bondage. Moses goes up on Mount Sinai, and the people, they get, they get restless. They get impatient. And they say, this Moses guy, man, we don't know what happened to him, but Aaron, you make us gods that we can worship. And so they cast a golden calf, something that they can relate to, something how they like God to be, it's idolatry. And we do that all the time in modern culture. We say, well, the God I worship is only like this because that's how we prefer Him to be. But it is indeed the idolatry of our own desires, our own choices. Verse 24, Therefore God gave them over to sinful desire of their hearts, to sexual impurity, for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the created things rather than the Creator, who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. This passage is talking about 
as a result of mankind denying who God is as he has revealed himself, there is an arrogant denying of the created order for sex. The result is unnatural and shameful, degrading same-sex sexual acts. And for us to say that there's nothing wrong or that it's perfectly natural for homosexuality to take place is to say that we know better than the God who made us. Again, that's idolatry. And that doesn't mean that homosexuality is the only expression of spiritual depravity. But again, Paul's point is that we're all affected by sin and we need a Savior and that homosexuality is just an obvious example as we deny and contradict God's natural order. Number four, homosexuality is an expression of immorality. This is the, the verse, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. Or do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, which literally is translated as the effeminate or the soft, playing the female role in a homosexual relationship, nor homosexual offenders, literally men who lie with men, who is the aggressor, or the male in that homosexual relationship. That's the 1984 version of the NIV. The 2011 version and the ESV have kind of rolled it all into one. Nor men who have sex with men. The point being is that homosexuality is a perversion of what God intends for sex. And that there is no redeemable version of that in God's eyes. And I'm not telling you that because I'm trying to be harsh. I'm just sharing with you the, the truth of God's Word. Being faithful if I've wounded or offended you. Not even in monogamy. And to continue to practice this sexuality leads to His judgment. Now there's some objections to these biblical passages saying we don't, we don't really understand what the Word of God is saying. First of all, Let's go back to our Leviticus passages. The objection is that Christians are taking arbitrary, picking and choosing things from the Old Testament law while neglecting others. If it's the law, then it's all the law. Things like prohibition from shellfish. We seem to be okay with that. Prohibition from pork. Wearing clothes with mixed materials. Mixed crops. Festivals, aren't we under the new covenant? Now, it is true. We are under a new covenant where our righteousness, our relationship with God is based on faith alone, in Christ alone, what He has done, what, how He's lived His life, He paid the penalty, and He rose from the dead. He is our reconciler. He is our redeemer. But God still has expectations for His redeemed people. And within that Old Testament law, there are portions we call the moral law. And they have to do with how we treat one another. You know what? Theft will never be acceptable for God's new covenant people. Adultery will never be acceptable 
for God's new covenant people. Murder will never be acceptable for God's new covenant people. Kidnapping will never be acceptable for God's new covenant people. Nor will homosexuality, which is a deviation from holy sexuality of what God has revealed. And first to, to deny honestly Leviticus chapter 18 through 20, which has a lot to do with sexual relationships, opens the door for things like incest, bestiality, even violations in polygamy. So be careful for negating things that God has morally put in his Old Testament law. Number two, the other objection is Jesus really never addressed homosexuality. And my answer is he really never needed to. Because the people that he addressed were Jewish people most of the time. And they understood what God's law had taught about this issue. Rather, he points to God's intent from the very beginning, really addressing people who are looking for loopholes to get out of marriage. This is from Mark 10, verses 2 through 9. Some of the Pharisees came and tested him by asking, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? What did Moses command you? He replied. They said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. It was because of your hearts were hard that Moses wrote this law. Jesus replied, but at the beginning of creation, listen to this, God made them male and female. He's pointing back to how God created the family, he created sex, he designed it. And for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. They are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. There's no option for a homosexual union within this teaching. God designed sex. He designed marriage. But he's also rebuking these Pharisees saying, quit looking for an out. This is a hardness of heart issue as you're looking to dissolve what God has put together the next objection that Sodom and Gomorrah was not about sexual sin but a lack of hospitality or a lack of compassion for the poor now the place you go for this is Ezekiel I'm not going to read it for you today 16 verses 49 through 50 if you want to look that up yourself you sure can unfortunately it's an allegorization of God's people, Israel and Judah, who are rebelling against God and basically saying, you are acting in a manner that is selfish and you're neglecting the poor. And you have not shown hospitality. I agree with that because gang rape is not hospitality. However, the issue is not sharing of food. It is a violation of someone attacking them. And, and Jude 7 makes commentary on this, very specifically. In a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. 
Yes, they were unhospitable, but they were judged for their sexual sin. The last objection that comes about these passages is about 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. That the context of the sexual relationship was exploitive rather than consensual sex. Thus, the effeminate soft male, or the prostitute as the NIV is kind of uh, implied, is exploited by the aggressive one who lives with men, assumed paying customer, if you will. And, and it's an exploitive relationship. And that might be true. It might not be true. But just because one sin is taking place does not mean the other one is not taking place as well. And as we let Scripture interpret Scripture, taken as a whole, what God says about homosexual relationships, there is no godly version of homosexuality. It does not exist. And so it's wrong. It's not what God intends for sexuality. So that is kind of how God's Word has spoken about this issue. And if you have questions about that, I'd love to talk with you more about it. I've done ad nauseum research more than I care to talk about. But this is kind of the, the, the thumbnail sketch of what God has said. But let's go back to what I said earlier. Remember that every person you meet is made in the image of God. Even the person who's struggling with same-sex attraction and homosexuality. And every person you meet has been affected by the fall. And the goal of my preaching today is to be full of truth, but also full of grace and the good news of Jesus Christ. Because while the act of homosexuality is not God's plan, it is not beyond His love, it is not beyond His forgiveness, and not beyond His hope. And I don't know where everyone is here today, but there might be somebody here who is struggling with same-sex attraction or even identifies as homosexual. And here's what I want to tell you. God does not hate you. God made you. You are made in His image. You are precious to Him. And He wants you to be His because He loves you. He sent His Son for you. And I'm going to read some verses we read all the time. But think about these things in the context of of this. John 3.16 and 17. For God so loved the world. When we talk about the world, it is a world that is in rebellion. It's shaking its fist against its creator and is worthy of judgment. And yet, God so loved that world that He gave His one and only Son that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. Four, God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Jesus was on a rescue mission to save those of us who are affected by sin. And that's all of us. And the God who is rich in mercy is more interested in redemption than He is in retribution. God sent His Son to live the life we couldn't live, to come and pay the penalty you and I could not pay, and to conquer the foe in, in, in death that we could not conquer for you 
And He is the one who justifies before a holy God. He is the one who transforms. That was true then, and it is true now. So let me go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, and read what follows. Do you not know that wrongdoers will inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. I want to say, if you're struggling with this, Lord Jesus is beckoning you to Himself. Not to clean yourself up, but to confess your need. Just as is true of everyone in here. To repent, to turn to Him in faith. Say, Jesus, I need you to come into my heart. I need you to come in and change me. And He will. And it's not an overnight process. You just don't instantly become godly, have godly desires and you still struggle with sin along the way as we've talked about but don't be deceived by the desire of your of your flesh again we talked about we can make sex an idol whether that's heterosexual or homosexual we think that's the ultimate goal of human existence it is not god made us for himself for eternity to know him and you know what the two most complete men probably in scripture the apostle paul and our lord jesus christ were both single men so think about that. Jesus wants to give you his life because he says, the enemy, he comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And when you're deceived by him, that's what he's trying to, to bring about in your life. He says, I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. To allow Christ to come and live in you and change you and make you his own and transform you. He wants to give you His life. And He wants you, everyone in this room, homosexual, heterosexual, to trust Him with your sexuality. To give it to Him and trust Him with that. It's an act of faith. Because there are no guarantees. And if you're a heterosexual Christian, and you're following Jesus, and you're following Him with your whole heart, there's still no guarantee that you're going to find a spouse. You need to learn to be satisfied in Him, first of all. And if you're struggling with homosexuality, to commit that to Him, and you're following Him in a godly manner, there's no guarantee that He's going to transform that desire from homosexuality to heterosexuality. But the goal is not be homosexual to heterosexual. It's holy sexuality. That's the goal. That's what God wants to do in your heart and my heart. And to know Him on that journey. And no journey is the same. No journey is the same. I told you, you know, Carrie and I got married when I was 34. That's late for some. It's early for others. We have some dear friends from that singles ministry who are still single. But they're still following Christ. And they're still 
being satisfied in Him. We have two friends who do struggle. They're Christians with homosexuality, with same-sex attraction. But they have committed their lives to Christ and decided, you know what, my option is celibacy. To commit that to Him and to, rather than to uh, follow their own same-sex fleshly desire. And their stories are not the same. One is a gentleman who, you know, God has made that his ministry, to minister to, to men and women who are struggling with same-sex attraction. And over time, you know what happened? God brought a woman into his life. A woman that he loves deeply. And he married her. And they have a little girl. And it's changed his life. And it's very cool. But he's got other problems to worry about now that he's married, right? On the other hand, we have a dear sister who grew up in the church. She loves Jesus deeply. Been following Him for years. But in her middle school years, decided, discovered she had a an attraction to other women around her. Not sure what that was. Continued to serve him. Went to Bible college. Was preparing to be a missionary. Served on a church staff. Brought that up before the church and said, this is what's going on in my life. And hoping that as she continued to follow Christ, that God would just transform that desire. The heterosexuality, but it hasn't happened. I spent two hours on the phone with her this week. She's near 60 now. And sometimes bringing it up with the church, she's felt judged, misunderstood, alone, alienated. You know what was interesting as I, as I talked with her? She said, I... I I wouldn't trade it for anything. And I thought it was so strange. Because she says, now I know what God's grace is. I know what it is to be honest before God and before others. I know what it is to reach out for help because I need help. She has proclaimed her poverty in her brokenness before God and man. And God has met her there. And she would say that she has a same-sex orientation. It is not her identity. It is not her eternity. But it's what God has allowed. And He's used it to show her that His grace is sufficient, even if her desires never change on this side of heaven. And I'm sharing this with you partly because I think there's a misunderstanding sometimes about where same-sex attraction comes from. Again, every journey is unique and different. I think sometimes we think that people who struggle with this, they went down some sort of path of perversion, of sexual sin, whatever, and this is just kind of the next step. No, for this woman, it's like, I feel like I'm an alcoholic and yet I've never taken a drink. It's there. I admit it. I confess it. 
But it's not something I'm repenting of every day because that's what God has allowed. And I'm, I'm not living into that. But I'm letting God's grace meet me within the midst of this. And I think we just need to be careful about what we assume about how people got where they've gotten. I also want to share about the first person I, I talked about. He was in a youth group in North Platte, Nebraska, of all places, where I served as sta- on staff. A young man whose family was broken. Mom and dad were in conflict. And he's fe- having these feelings, not knowing what to do with them. Until one of the youth group sponsors said, you know, I wish those homosexuals would just go kill themselves. And this young man was like, oh, is that what I'm supposed to do? Is that what I'm supposed to do, take my life? And he almost did. Had a handgun to his head. But somehow God spared him. But he left the church for a long time. In college, was living into that homosexual lifestyle until he met some people from Campus Crusade from Christ at the college he was at. Some guys who just loved him, came alongside of him, whom he could be honest with, says, this is my struggle. And they said, okay, man, we're here for you. We're going to walk with you through this. And to find the love and acceptance of Christ and find the love and acceptance of these young men who said, okay, you struggle with this? That's okay, we're going to walk with you. And again, you know, God redeemed that. And, you know, he made a choice to pursue holy sexuality. And then the Lord brought a woman into his life later on. But my point is, how would that play out here at Breen Community Church? If we had a young man, a young woman, an older man, an older woman, struggling with same-sex attraction. Who could they come to and say, this is really what's going on? Would they receive compassion? Would they receive grace? Or would we stiff-arm them? Maybe because we don't know what to do with it. But say, you know what, I, I don't know. And maybe we don't know. But to know how to come and just say, I'm with you. I'm going to walk with you. As we try and follow Christ together. That doesn't mean you affirm that that's okay. You just say, hey, I'm, I'm here with you. Because I struggle with my own stuff too. And I get it. I get it. It's frustrating to have popular culture try and thrust uh, affirmation on us. To say, you know, you need to affirm this, you need to stand up, you need to celebrate it. But again, as those who have been saved by grace, by the grace of God, who still wrestle with sin, do we have a heart to love and listen? Not approve, but listen to someone who's struggling with this area. And maybe, maybe even God might bring somebody into your life who is, they're in the throes of that. They are, they are far from God. And they're living into this homosexual lifestyle, but they need to see Jesus in you. 
And you see Jesus in me. So here are a few suggestions if you find yourself in this place. If that's true of you, I'd say the first thing is you need to bring Jesus to them before you even talk about their sexuality. Their first need is for Christ. They need to hear about Him. And you know what? You may not have permission to speak about anything else into their life right now. But you know what? Christ addresses all sorts of areas, not just sexuality. And can they see that in you? And after a while, after they know that you're for them, maybe you might have the opportunity to speak into that area. But they need Christ. That's the first thing they need. Remember, He's the change agent. He's the Savior. Not you, not me. We need to have that heart for them. And we need to do a lot of listening before we, we do a lot of talking. Ask a lot of questions. Tell me about that. Tell me your story. And maybe they'll feel safe to you to, to share some of that. The good, the bad, the ugly. Because this didn't just come out of a vacuum. And everybody has a story and they want to know that they're being heard. Instead of just going right to answers, right to solutions. Let's be careful about that. And again, let's not make their sexuality the focus. Again, Jesus wants to change all sorts of areas in our life. It could be materialism. It could be our character. It could be hurts and relationships like your parents. Maybe God's dealing with hurt and forgiveness. And, And remember that transformation takes time. So you may not see the progress that you're looking for. But again, let's make it about Jesus. Let's not make it about their sexuality. And last of all, I want to say, and I kind of said this already, heterosexuality is not the goal. It is holiness unto Christ, to be living for Him. And if that desire of the flesh never dies on this side of heaven, But they're honoring Christ with their bodies and seeking to bring that under his headship. And that is a win on this side of heaven. People need to see Christ in you and in me. Many people who are homosexuals are convinced we hate them. I'm sorry, but it's true. And maybe sometimes we've given them fodder for that. And there may be some challenges, there may be some testings. You know, when you're, you're getting to know somebody, sometimes they'll test you. Do you love me, even if I won't change? But we need to extend the grace that has been extended to us. We are grace receivers. Let's be grace extenders. And if people do reject Christ, let it not be because we've rejected them. Let it be because they've chosen their own way. But let them see Christ in us. That's how we can be redemptive. And someone who's struggling with homosexuality or same-sex attraction. 
Let me pray, and then, Mike, will you come and close us here? So, Lord, this is a challenging message, and I know I have not addressed every issue, but let it be a starting place for us to be messengers, to be ambassadors of God's goodness. And, Lord, we want to be full of truth. We want to stand for what you stand for, but we want to be full of grace. Because, Father, you sent your Son to save this world. So let people see Christ in us, whether that's homosexuality or any other issue, Lord. Let us be a representative of Jesus. and Let them experience your grace and your love through us, as well as your truth. We thank you that you have called us to yourself and that you want to give us your life. And if there's somebody in here, Lord, that needs to put their faith in you, I pray you'd be beckoning them right now. And if that's you, I just want you to pray these words along with me. They're not magic words, but they're the expression of a sincere heart to respond to the grace of God. Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I know I've rebelled against a holy God. And I know I don't have anything in my own power to save myself. But would you come and save me from myself? I want to repent. I want to turn away from my own self and my own flesh and turn to you. And I ask you to come into my heart to change me. I receive what you've done in living life and dying on the cross for me and rising from the dead. Come and make me your own. And Lord Jesus, we take you at your word when your word says, to as many as believed in him, even those who believed in his name, who received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God. Do that in that person's life right now. And we take you at your word by faith. So Lord Jesus, your mercy is more. We thank you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.